not only do I need to create something that has an emotional connection, I also need to make sure it's solving a real world problem. And even though in growth especially, we want to be quick and dirty, we want to throw things up on the wall, and we want to fail fast, the role a designer plays on a cross-functional team is one of asking the why. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. I'm Mada, and I'm the host for How I Grew This. Hi, everyone. We're incredibly excited to have our next guest, Chetana Diora, Director of Product Design at Coursera. As a design leader, she's worked for companies like Netflix, Script, Yahoo, and Pentagram. Beyond this, she's a board member of the Interact Project, a nonprofit based in San Francisco that brings design education to underserved, diverse community. It's so great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mada. I'm glad we're finally connecting on this wonderful conversation together. So last time we hung out was at the dinner like normal people and this was right before the world changed how has the last six months been for you i'm not sure if i'll ever forget these last six months of 2020 and it's interesting that probably may have been my one of my last few people-centric wonderfully hosted dinner And since then, I have remembered your class at Stanford, my trip back home to India, uh, including accepting this offer at Coursera with a complete remote onboarding first time ever. As a design leader to start a new company and be onboarded remotely, it's been quite an experience. And it happened around the same week as the COVID lockdown. On the plus side, the one thing that's been really interesting in the last six months which is something I've wondered about for the 20 years of being in the U.S., is I have never gotten to know my neighbors. And now we have a walking club because everyone's working from home. Yes. And we created this text group. And at lunchtime, we all text each other and try and encourage each other to get away from our Zoom calls and desks and take a walk around the neighborhood. So before I continue with my rant of what all has been challenging, I did want to mention That's been such a welcoming break. Um, In terms of the biggest thing in the last six months with Coursera, our Q2, Q3 has been a problem I shouldn't be complaining about because of the hockey stick growth with online learning becoming such a pivotal aspect of everyone's lives. And you and I know in these last six months, the world is finally biased towards action with Black Lives Matter. They've mattered always, but now we're at a point where we're going to do something about it. And if it's not enough, you and I are living in this golden state and we've lived through forest fires. I know, it's been really intense, the whole West Coast. And that unbelievable Orange Day. The Orange Day, everyone thinks about, I still remember the Orange Day. Yes. I think, you know, what you talk about neighbors, I also found that I now know my neighbors and I never, I've lived in the same place for four years and now I know everyone on the street and I know their names and I know their dogs' names and this has forced us to care more about our smaller communities and I, that, yes. that has definitely been a positive. Very true. So 
when we think about you know this podcast and the way I like to structure it is I want to ask you questions about your personal growth, mm -hmm. but also how you think about growth in general. So let's start with your personal growth. You've had an incredible career. You've worked with some like incredible brands. How did you get started? How did you get into design? How did you evolve into being a design leader? Yes, that's such an interesting analogy, especially for you and I leading product-led growth or growth marketing, and then the connotation of career growth, personal growth. So thank you for that question. It really is a journey way back growing up in the hustle bustle of Mumbai in India. Very much the quintessential expectations of either getting married or having a career. Luckily, I have grown up in a family that I would say is quite liberal, quite modern in terms of their outlook to women and especially my dad. And so I negotiated with him that instead of spending tons of money getting me married, how would we take that for my higher education? And so I took that and landed here to do my master's in graphic design here in San Francisco. So my roots are very much in design. And in order to get to that point of knowing design is where my calling is, I did go through years of dabbling in science. So I was a biology student loved tinkering with understanding how things work. You would see me walking around recording or observing ants or colonies of bees and studying them. At least that's how my mom remembers me. That's so cool. And so somewhere, and so on that note, my favorite, I guess, inventor, scientist, creator is Richard Feynman. So I would read his books and follow whatever experiments he did. However, it was in my lab experiments that I had to do a frog dissection, I don't think the frog fainted well enough, but I did. And that was a sign to me that I'm not cut for this, even though medicine and science is where I want to be headed. But there has to be a profession that can bring this questioning mind of mind, this curious mind of mind, and then the ability to really empathize that I need to explore. So at that time in India, there was only advertising. There was no mention of graphic design, let alone product design UX. You and I know it that way today. Yeah. So I landed here for the master's, then started the whole journey of being in Pentagram, landing at seven years at Yahoo. I always say I grew up at Yahoo. Everything that design school did not teach me, every person at Yahoo, my network even today from Yahoo is that made me who I am in terms of my growth professionally. And uh, initially, the roles were from graphic design to visual design. I don't know if you've tracked the evolution of even the designer's titles. It goes from web designer to staff visual designer. And now, eventually, there's this more ubiquitous definition, which is a product designer. So my journey has been a balance of academia and self-taught. And I know today in 2020, we're in a world where everything can be self-taught and learning is truly without limits. And in my case, I think from advertising, coming into graphic design, moving into UX design, and most recently understanding the fact that leading design for growth really allows me to bring the sum total of who I am, the business, the customer, and the potential of design problem solving. And so with Netflix and even Scribd, so Netflix, Scribd, and Coursera, 
The interesting thing about this journey is I'm able to connect the dots backward with my career. And the way I look at the dots is with Scribd, I came in to really bring binge reading to the forefront. With Netflix, you can say it was growing the audience for binge watching. And here I am at Coursera, hopefully helping the world to binge learn, if I may. I love it. So I think of this path as some intention, some willpower, lots of hard work, lots of challenges, and then being able to just trust where the dots will connect backwards. So for for the listeners who might not really understand what the role of design is in growth, I think there's probably many of our listeners who have this idea that design is just making things pretty. And the role of a designer is to make, and and I I can think about the time in my life where I used to think that way. Talk a little bit about what does it mean? What does design mean for growth? How is design for product? How do you think about that? And what's the difference between that and, uh, you know, just making things look good? I'll start with sharing this epiphany I had years ago, mainly because I haven't still moved away from from my passion for art. My deep stressor today is still making analog, weird I'm going to call this analog, analog collage, (laughs) right? I'm in this situation. I know, really. I can't believe I'm using that word, but I literally signed up for an experience where I can cut out magazines and just be meditative about not being in front of a screen. When I think of my time as an artist, I realize my work is about complete expression and complete connection in an emotional way. An artist can create a painting or a canvas, even if it's blank. And for those who are super successful because of their brand, they can sell that blank canvas for millions of dollars. Yes. They could have you know, space in a museum. As I have moved and grown into graphic design, user experience design, I think what I find most challenging and most exciting is that not only do I need to create something that has an emotional connection, I also need to make sure it's solving a real world problem. And that to me is the biggest distinction between art and design and therefore taking it forward to how do we design? Design is a process. And even though in growth especially, we want to be quick and dirty, we want to throw things up on the wall, and we want to A-B test, we want to fail fast, I fully get that speed and that need to be experimenting. But the role a designer plays in a cross-functional team is one of asking the why. Because if every other member of the team, like the product manager is asking the what or making sure we're hitting the metrics, the engineer is helping us look at the feasibility and the how, It is the designer and the researcher or the content strategist together that I hold them very accountable to asking the why and sometimes even the why not. So the sum total of my experience with design is is, it's one of the most inclusive methodology to solve problems. And I would go as far as to say you can truly solve world problems with a certain curiosity and innovation by design. The ideas of the world are doing that at a different level. You and I are probably doing it you know, in a digital space with our product services ideas. I love the why part. I mean, I, I recently read um, 
Simon Sinek start with why who mm-hmm. talks a lot about like yes. it's a marketing book and he says when you market something you have to start with why and I think it's interesting that you say that it's uh, the designer's job I almost feel sometimes it's everyone's job right the product manager's job the engineer's job yes. to always ask the why 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 did you, why did you design it this way why are we even building this product why but I love I love that that's also part of design do you have any examples of like uh, from any of your companies current or past where you feel you drove growth or change through a design and, and change in the design i think people sometimes can learn a lot from those stories yes it's a really good point because you and i both seem to agree about design is not the pretty pixels but what does that mean because you're right it's a very tangible aspect of design And I also want to just acknowledge, especially as someone who's roots in graphic design and visual design, I by no means underestimate the power of good design or even something that is attractive or is beautiful, if I may. However, that beauty is irrelevant if it doesn't fulfill the job to be done. Yeah. So let's look at an example And I think I'll share with you this uh, one of the one of the very critical projects I led at Netflix. I was fortunate enough that when I joined the group and the team, my business leaders had already done an amazing job to get funding for what was going to be a pretty design and research-led initiative. The genesis of the project was Well, we're doing pretty well globally, which you and I know. Netflix does have a very unique value proposition and a very unique reason to believe in the product. You and I don't need to be convinced to spend that $9 or maybe $15 a month, depending on your subscription plan. However, this wasn't a given for markets where the Netflix content is not what you and I would want to watch. So Japan, Korea, India, it's a very flamboyant, culturally rich Mm. culture. And so cinema entertainment is in their DNA. We don't need, honestly, Netflix to go there and tell them stories because it's a nation or a culture that is living and breathing stories. So also coming from a team that was product-led growth-centric, and yes, I partnered very closely with growth marketing as well, we had done enough iterative testing in what was going to be the global solution and hoping that it would land for these unique markets. But it became very clear that that wasn't going to be the the sort of one-size-fits-all. And that is when we took a step back, rewrote our hypotheses and realized we need to be in market with a design and research-led initiative to really get behind the why is it that Netflix is not getting the engagement and the ongoing retention in these markets. And from that point onward, it was an amazing partnership between my research team and the product design team and really strong partnership with our PM in terms of what are the research methodologies we're going to use right from diary studies to in-home interviews to creating concepts while we are in market. So I did, I was very involved with the research we did in Tokyo and then in Kyoto for the Japanese market and really getting to understand what does entertainment mean for this particular culture? Do they watch Netflix on a 
laptop or a mobile phone or a big screen because you can have all these notions about Japan sitting here in Los Gatos but what's happening there is a different story do they use our features the way we've designed it all of these questions is what we went in with i did go for the in home interviews wow my team yeah my team knows this and i know this that we were humbled we were humbled with how naive we are with the choices and opportunities we have here where i'll give you a, a tiny example a research and led design initiative reminded us that when you put three plans let's say we call it light medium premium and in the plans you're differentiating against hd ultra hd and whatever for a japanese mind they had no clue on what to think of hd they even thought it may be hard drive right and then there was a question did you know that you can watch netflix on your cell phone and there was a very honest answer from the customer well when we sign up you didn't send us a package for hooking up the cell phone to the device so i can watch it so there wasn't this notion that this is subscription video on demand which for you and me here is business as usual these questions and these nuances of how people interpret our value proposition is not the same for every culture in the world and we could not have gotten behind this veil had we not approached it one with a beginner's mind with a research methodology backed with design so what i'm sharing with you right now some of the problems that surfaced but then we also did iterative design while we were we were in market we did generative concepts we did quick and dirty prototyping and then we put it back in front of the customers and got feedback from them i'm now getting into a bit of how you can co-create with design but it just gives you a sense of we could have been sitting here and through quantitative data continuously iterating on the netflix homepage or another you know sign up floor sign up pad yeah. but we just would have never known what is sticking and what's not Well, it wouldn't have even given you the ideas of what to try if you didn't do the quantitative, yes. right? Like you can changing colors on a button stuff wouldn't help you understand what the issue is. So I think that's really interesting. You of course need both, but if you only do quantitative AB tests, you don't know what to AB test, right? <laughs> exactly, and that's very true. So I think of it as qual really helps to get to the bottom of the why. Yeah. quant allows you to quantify that in terms of if it is successful is it successful enough mm-hmm. for a business i love that and a designer who can use qual and quant to inform the design decision in my mind is a pretty well equipped design problem solver and with this research led initiative in tokyo we then also brought it to india and i had insight of a whole different level which is so interesting that i'm saying that to you i grew up there but even then when i went there as a netflix employee with my team yet again was humbling what does free trial mean to an indian customer versus free trial for you and me living here in the us versus free trial for someone in brazil and japan it was an amazing uh, global eq iq revelation That's really awesome. 
So I think I was mentioning to you earlier, I just finished reading the Netflix culture book. I have it here. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> the No Rules Rules. I'm, I'm kind of curious, how do you think Netflix cultures in particular and also how any culture should empower employees to make this kind of like decisions and how should like, how should they empower designers to like have a way into like dictating product or helping like make product better? Thank you for that question, Mother. And it's good timing since the book is out. And... It's everyone. A lot of people are talking about it. We just had a whole founder <laughs> wow. meeting on the on just this book. <laughs> wow. Yes, it's interesting how because I've I've lived that. I've not thought about it that way. But in retrospect, the first thing I'll say to you is Netflix truly is one of those places where undoubtedly I can say you're treated as an as an adult in terms of the role you play, in terms of the accountability and impact you have, that really was very refreshing. And it doesn't just happen overnight by saying, hey, treat me as an adult. It's very hard to do it's that. Start, <laughs> it's very hard to do that because you have to start with the hiring. So this is one thing I have believed in, and I think it came to full fruition in Netflix, which is your product and your practices or your processes is the sum total of the people you bring together. And I think there's a quote somewhere, maybe I read it on a billboard, you are the sum total of the five people. Yeah, your closest five people. Yeah, the closest five people. And so I feel somehow Netflix has really understood that the culture it wants to create is rooted in the people it hires. So having said that, when it comes to decision-making, you and I probably know, and as you're reading the book, Freedom and responsibility is one of their biggest tenets. And I think when it was instituted, Netflix was a smaller org, design team was a smaller team. It was easier to make sure that the word freedom and the word responsibility are really understood the way it was designed, as opposed to being interpreted in many different ways, as is the case now because the organization has really grown and it's also very global and cross-cultural. That being said, to bring my answer back to what would decision-making and empowerment look like for design, I do believe within design, there are certain practices, methodologies, ways in which to solve design problems that really should be a shared vocabulary within a design team and the cross-functional team. So it's almost like learn the rules, operate in that till you really become seasoned at the technique and the knowledge and the craftsmanship. But when it comes to your ability to influence, break the rules. Create an experiment where you know you will fail, but take accountability for the failure and share the learnings from the failure. This is the one thing that is magical at Netflix. It allows you to fail and it expects you to take complete accountability for that failure, which then from a leadership point of view is pretty challenging because how do you support that failure but still demonstrate progress? Mm-hmm. But for an IC, the IC is very empowered. The individual contributor in this case does feel very empowered And I will remind us, all of this started because I told you we are hiring people who can have that level of, if I may, thick skin or maturity 
right, or the adultness, that I'm going to take this risk and this is a reward, but if I fail, this is what I will learn from it. So the decision-making is pretty empowered. It's also a lot of lead by example. You look at each other, you're just motivated. And I think the challenge is going to be keeping the interpretation of freedom and responsibility consistent as you start scaling in different and different cultures and as you start having a more diverse workforce and you still want to be inclusive. That makes a lot of sense. I can definitely see that. The growing pains. The growing, the growing pains. So if we move forward to where you are today, what does growth look like at Coursera? What, how are you guys thinking about growing? You are you know, a two-way platform. So like any two-way platform, you can just think about in order to get people to binge on, on learning, you also have people binge <laughs> on teaching, right? So how do you think about growth in between those two? So how do you balance that growth? Yeah, good, really good point and really timely, not just for Coursera, but for education and online education overall. What I can say to you is we have just started asking this question ourselves. Q2, Q3 has been a moment of immediate response. Like, stop thinking, stop getting attached to your plan that you made at the end of 2019 or at the beginning of 2020. Like, just show up, just show up. Planning this year was like, my, yeah, my marketing plan for Q2 was now what ended up. Exactly. So that itself has been the sort of re- response, hopefully not reaction. We're thinking of, more specifically in terms of growth, I can share with you, because I've been at Coursera for seven months, not that long, what I'll share with you is hopefully what I'm envisioning for my team and as someone who's leading design for growth, where I think that sweet spot is uh, in being able to accomplish this mantra that has been on my mind at least for the last 14 months, keep growth good. And, and I will try and elaborate that on, on, on it a bit, because a lot of people who want to, who come to Coursera is because of the mission. Everyone wants to be working for something that's larger than themselves. Education is always larger than us and about learning without limits. So, yes, we do have to nail our learning experience in and of itself. You're sitting in front of a degree program or a certification program. You want to switch careers from you know, let's say data science to something else or marketing to design, Coursera does give you the opportunity to switch careers or upskill your career through our courses and through our programs. That being said, how does one pay for learning when you also feel entitled that you can learn through so many other means out there? So many other snackable ways of consuming content that you really start questioning or you need really strong evidence on wanting to pay for learning. So that has been our biggest sort of question to answer or the how might we to answer. And I always think of my role as a design leader or even PMs, as you called out earlier, that the sooner we can land on the most critical questions that we need to answer the more targeted and focused we can be on pursuing that answer. Otherwise, we whole team is drooling and spending time on even the wrong question to be asked. So up until now, we've had a lot of traction as a global company with learners 
in a lot of the Eastern markets. With COVID happening, many of the universities that were skeptical about online learning have really opened up their aperture, as you can imagine. So in that sense, the top of the funnel, the acquisition, you could say, has automatically become more open and willing, but it's almost the situation you're getting what you asked for, and now are you ready to take it on? So from the university's point of view, for them, it is about speed because they are completely in chaos overnight, do something, get it together. From the learner's point of view, there's not only just the individual learner, there's also the student and then there's the parent. And the overall ecosystem of education and the fact that myself as a parent cannot imagine a world where my daughter is going to be in front of a video call for 40 hours of a week every semester. It, the thought and the experience of that makes me feel so accountable and responsible for the experiences we create with online education. So we are, or at least I am, from a design point of view, hoping to create, leverage this momentum that we have by doubling down on what's going to be a hybrid education model. Are we ready for it infrastructurally? Are we ready for it from our education curriculum point of view? Is our customer ready for it? All of that is up for grabs. And those are some of the questions I'm hoping to be able to bring to my day job and even beyond my day job. Because as as you mentioned early on, I have been passionately involved with Interact Project where we do design education. And it is free because it's a nonprofit. So growth, and I'm not talking to you so much about, you know, the known tactics of growth, acquisition, retention, top of funnel. Those are there. Those metrics and that what tactics we have to use in all of those stages are very much there. I guess I'm just zooming out and talking about how I think about growth in an area that is truly going to impact your life, our children's lives, and the future, because it's education, is one where we have to be very responsible and really ask the right questions in terms of the future of education. Because otherwise, we could easily make this, um, I don't know, million, multi-million dollar business, because every person out there that we can gather is taking our courses online. But then is that the world we want? I think like you know the question what what you're where you're talking about is the more choice we give people and the things that they want, the more they go in a direction that sometimes I think part of like my education, I went to school in Romania, and you're forced to learn a lot of things that you might not be interested in mm. and while those things those things give you an understanding of the world that can then help you make the right choice versus if you don't have that background and you're not forced to do the things that might not be that fun for you, like math or biology, you might go and learn certain things. That It's the same with news, right? So I totally get what you're talking about responsibility because there always needs to be, I think the, the stuff between choice and like forcing someone to learn things that like actually make them a stronger individual, but they might not like enjoy it at the beginning. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very hard and I don't know what the right answer is, but I'm happy you're working on it. 
It's a hard question to answer, Mada, but it's it is what's available to us now. We have finally reached that crossroad where personalized learning, customized learning, wherever you are, at whatever time you want to learn, whoever you want to learn with is completely possible. Yeah. You and I couldn't imagine this. When I was in kindergarten, I could not have imagined this possibility for learning. And so, yeah, in terms of the business growth, in terms of the creating more reasons for our Coursera customers to believe in the power of online learning is right in front of us. I just cannot but help myself calling out with this freedom comes the responsibility. Yeah, freedom and responsibility. I love it. Came back. (laughs) So I want to end with, you talk a lot about growth and learning. And I think I always ask everyone on the show, what is some advice you'd give to your younger self, a younger version of you? You've obviously had a really successful career. And for others who are maybe just getting started, who might be listening to the show, what kind of advice you have for them? And where should they go to learn? How should they learn? Trying to think what I have done. Some of this has truly been about accepting who I am. That itself has been a journey, especially for us as immigrants. Yes, Um, I identify with that. Right? Like the DNA we grew up with and then we chose to... Some of us were rebels, left home to be here to gain that freedom. Some of us, you know, had more logical ways to get away. So in in the 20 years of at least being in the U.S., I have, I'm just grateful to be able to finally reach a stage where I can accept the sum total of who I am. And now I'm at that stage, especially when you're in a leadership role or as parents, where you just start accepting what you cannot be or you don't need to be. So that's the first thing to share with you. And I know this is more at a meta level, but even if I bring it... No, I I agree with that. I think it's very hard to do that. Sometimes you feel... I don't know. I feel like as an immigrant, you don't always have the luxury to accept who you are (laughs) because when you're resource-constrained, you do what makes sure that you have money to survive... And then when you get to a point where you have the luxury to accept who you are and what you want to do in your career, you come from a place of abundance, but not everyone has that, right? Like if you're in a place of scarcity, it's very hard to... Beautifully put those two words. And as I'm hearing you, it's only, you know, right from the more recent board meetings or big conference meetings I've been in, to see myself and accept myself as that woman of color took me a while because I, I couldn't even realize that they were talking about me because I'm so agnostic to it. <laughs> so that's been the, the biggest aha. And then, of course, from a leadership point of view, the biggest learning and therefore sharing I can give to the audience is in order to lead effectively, it's very important that I manage myself effectively. Yes. <laughs> I'm laughing because I sometimes struggle with that. Not there at all. I um, <laughs> say yes to way too many things. I was complaining with the team that I worked until 9 p.m. and then I had a 6 a.m. conference. But it was all me. I could have said no. And if you're cranky and hangry and... I was. I, I, I had Taken a... <laughs> care of. Really, Nada, we've been there. So I have a poster here that says, manage yourself, Chetana, in order to lead better. 
I'm gonna, Thank I'm you. gonna do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna copy your poster. I am, I am. This is amazing. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> awesome. So wait, we have to finish with the three fun questions. If you had to delete all the apps you have on your phone and you could only keep one, what would it be? WhatsApp. You are a communicator. This is the world of of my guests are split between people who use communication apps and productivity. You are in the communication side. I love it. Uh, if you had an app that enabled you to talk to an animal or a type of animal, what would you pick? Queen bee. Wow, that's the most original answer so far. <laughs> Why? I've been a biology student, remember? She just sits there. You just want to wonder what she's thinking? I want to run her kingdom. I want to run my kingdom like her. That's not she's got some wisdom that I would love to understand her wisdom. Okay. I love that. And then lastly, an app on your phone that is un- would be unexpected to people that know you. Yeah. The metronome. What's the metronome? The metronome is this app that you have to use if you're an amateur guitar player. Oh. And I am an amateur guitar player that I love has it. been an amateur guitar player for a while. So you need to have the metronome so it can keep the beat. And oh. again, this is the whole like digital world because the analog version is too much to carry with you. So I have the metronome app on my phone. I love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was, <laughs> I feel like I got to know you a lot better and I learned a lot. So thanks for your time today. Thank you, Mada. What fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing.